encouraged, not burdened by the history that they create. They know what is expected of them. They are Manchester United. Welcome, listeners, to uh, another episode of the Fergie Fledglings podcast. I had to catch myself there. Uh, first time with the the whole crew here. You caught me off guard, actually. <laughs> Nathan like, Nitro. Must be great podcast, dude. <laughs> We've been over this. Uh, Nathan Heinchel joining us this time uh, was not able to join us last week, but uh, here with Nathan and Polly after Manchester United beat Brentford one nil. Uh, this is also the first time we are recording since the 2-0 defeat at Newcastle. So we've got both of those to discuss. But um, yeah. just just kind of first impressions after this match. Um, did it feel like we were watching something that could unfold not in a good way for a little while there? Or, or was it one of those kind of caught in between, like, feeling too comfortable while winning and... Uh, I mean, results aside, I don't know which is the worst match I just watched. Um, Because uh, the Brentford match was one of the worst things I've just watched in my life. Um, The Newcastle one, way better, other than the fact that we conceded two goals, and that one wasn't a good one either. Um, Yeah, I I texted you guys uh, just a couple of minutes ago, basically saying this game, uh, probably around the 85th minute, basically like being like it's a very weird game where this game feels like it's been done and dusted for about a half hour now and yet also like the result is extremely in the balance Renford the best team in the league at set pieces uh you don't want to give them too many of them they could score very easily other than that in this match Brentford did not try to do a single thing it was perplexing um considering that they were a bit more aggressive um, in August, and that just a teeny bit of aggression led to United making mistake after mistake after mistake that gave them a four 0 win. Newcastle just gave them, just showed everybody just how vulnerable United are, and they didn't make any. They made one change to the team, uh, like Weghorst came out, but like. That's not going to change the fact that if you press De Gea and Varane and and that back line, mistakes can happen. And Brentford just had no interest in doing that. I thought it was really weird how twi- last season and this season, Brentford were very good when we went to Brentford. And then each time they came to Old Trafford, they had no interest in playing. Um, just... As if United, once United got that goal, they basically stood around for the next hour and were like, "Yeah, we'll take the three points here. Um, and like, let's just not exert any any energy um, because we're all exhausted." It's just a weird. Like, I, I, just, it's so weird how Brentford approached this. Yeah, I, I'd say if I were to describe United's performance, I, I don't know that I would say that today's game was good. Um, it was encouraging that it was a win compared to the loss on the weekend. Um, maybe the best way to describe United today was they were energetic. Um, you know, the 66% possession at one point, it was in the seventies. Um, Brentford was 
weirdly very, very passive in this game. I mean, generally, I don't, I don't feel like they've played like that on the road um, against, you know, other quote unquote bigger competition. So it, everything about it just felt very strange. Like they just wanted to like, here you go, United, here's your, here's your one nil win. I never felt discomfort. I, I was live tweeting the game for uh, the Busby babe um, that used to be affiliated with this podcast, but um you know the one the one difference was I, I i put out a tweet that was like it feels like brentford's gonna go and score on their first shot on goal um this was prior to rashford scoring only simply because united were so dominant in possession to start the game i think they had four corners inside the first 18 minutes um and it just felt like one of those ones where United was going to get a little too far forward and then Brentford was going to just bang one in and then we were going to all sit there and melt down in the group chat um, but that didn't happen and Brentford didn't really push to make it happen either. So, you know, United had some, some exciting moments. Um, Anthony really was trying stuff. Um, maybe could have done a few more passes as opposed to shots. Um, but at the end of the day, like United had 18 shots, 66%, 66% possession and 12 corners, but only three shots on target. So still not clinical. Um, and that part's disappointing. So at least this is a positive result to take into the weekend, um, for a game that always makes me nervous. Um, you know, how I feel about a 7 30 AM kickoff against Everton. Uh, so that's looming on the weekend. I can't even say that they looked lively. Um, Tenog made one change besides the web course thing is he actually made a tactical change in that, uh, he's, he, he, basically said enough with this lone deep midfielder and two midfielders pushed higher without Casemiro, because that's very much not working. And McTominay and Bruno played much more as a double pivot with both of them sitting deeper, much more of a four, two, three, one. And hard to say, I, I, I can't take a single takeaway from this game because Brentford did not try to do anything. And it, it was just like Brentford hooked it long to a forward who then had to go like one versus Veron or Martinez and they just won the ball back. And then it was like, Oh, okay. Let me back off again and let you guys have the ball. Um, so energy, liveliness, all of it take with a grain of salt because Brentford really just did not try to do anything. The one good thing is, is like, how lucky United get here because they Burnford basically looked like they were playing as a scout team for a Sean Dyche at Everton who's coming this weekend. Like you could not be, you could not get a better preparation for that match than Brentford parking themselves in their own box and just letting United attack them the entire first half. Thank you, Thomas Frank. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think this game and probably the Everton game too are, were, you know, opportunities to see Rashford at center forward. Um, I don't think that United fully capitalized on that today, but you did see from the one goal when Anthony did not shoot, uh, he decided to loft it into the box and, you know, something was created. The play before that, Rashford had a really good holdup play to kickstart a fast break. Um, and that that's that's what ended up in the corner that eventually turned into the goal. But but yeah, in, in terms of the second half, especially, I was really disappointed that there wasn't more of an effort to really try to kill this game off. They looked really comfortable, even though the game was, you know, not done and dusted. And, um, you know, just looking on info goal, the highest 
XG chance of the game was actually that shot of uh, one-on-one with De Gea where he just forgot that he was supposed to shoot until David De Gea was like right in front of him. <laughs> I don't even know. I don't even know if he actually shot, but because uh, De Gea was actually just, you know, right on top of him by the time he was going to release the ball. Other than that, uh, Rashford scored on his chance, which was an XG of 0.41. And everything else was like, and kind of a set piece. Yes. Yeah. Cause it was, it was like a second chance opportunity or rebound opportunity, whatever you want to call it. Um, all the other ones, the next best chances was, uh, Scott McTominay's shot, uh, I think from the edge of the box, that was like 0.08. So. Right. And I mean, it doesn't surprise me because look, they did play the same. And like, we, we were talking about in the chat before the game kicked off, like they're playing the same midfield that they played on Sunday, which has a million flaws. You're only going to be so good. Um, they, they drop on Sunday, they drop Bruno deep to be like, all right, well, McTominay can't do it. Sabitzer can't do it. We're going to have Bruno do the build-up thing. And, like, turns out Bruno not really that good at it either. So it's kind of like, all right, you got you kind of have that issue. Um, and in the first half hour, Luke Shaw was doing a lot of that. He was, in, he was basically lining up next to McTominay as the second midfielder and handling a lot of those tasks. He actually had a run where he went. Um, and then did his best Fred impersonation where he tried to shoot and fell over. Um, but Brentford were sitting in a very deep block. And because Bruno was playing deeper, you now like, didn't have uh, any, you didn't have your your creator further up the pitch. Um, Sabitzer is more of an energy guy than the creative passer that Bruno is. Um, Rashford's not that creative. His creativity comes from, you know, playing one twos and uh, you get him on a two on one and he, um, you know, squares that ball. And on occasion, he'll whip in across, but he's not particularly the pick, the pick the lock of a deep block guy. And neither is Anthony. It, it also comes so from it, playing alongside Luke Shaw, who left after half an hour with an injury. Yeah. So just all these guys trying to un- undo a deep block, like which has been this team's Achilles heel for four, five, six years now. Like that dates back to the Jose Mourinho era. Wasn't all that surprising that they just couldn't get shots in there because you're looking at, you have two midfielders who are more energy than technical and creative. Your most creative players drop back. You've, you're you need Jaden Sancho, who's going to be a quick combinations guy, but like you don't really have the guys next to him to do that. Your wingers not that creative. They're they're cut inside and shoot guys. Just a just a mishmash. But like, it, I mean, the theme of the day. Well, and like, and that's part of the reason why they struggled so much against Newcastle, who are a tough team, because they couldn't get the ball out to Rashford, they couldn't get the ball out to Anthony, and when they did, there was just no creative anything. Anthony just wants to cut inside and shoot. There's no, there's no passing. Like we need, you need to pass the ball every so often, just, um, just to keep the defense honest, um, be a little bit unpredictable. There was none of that against Newcastle where they were so unthreatening and there wasn't much of it today against Brentford, but Hey, Brentford wanted to give us three points. You're going to take those and you're not going to apologize for them. And points 
or the ultimate thing. Like at the end of the day, like those points don't come off the board and you can lose, you know, you know, right now United are not playing the best out of all the teams that are going for fourth place, but they have a massive lead over everybody else that that's going to be the big difference. And uh, just assuming that Tottenham are also going to continue dropping points over the remainder of their schedule because they don't look good and they don't have a manager. Every at the single moment. team will. Yeah. Every I mean, single team. Newcastle and to Tottenham still have to play each other. Uh, Newcastle or yeah, Liverpool and Tottenham still have to play each other. Um, Tottenham have a brutal schedule, um, but every team in the like. And look, Brighton has never scared me because Brighton. Under Deserby, they are fun. They don't win all that often. They they, um, they leave space. They leave yeah, a lot more and, space and they, than they did under Potter. They're, they're, always, they, they, always opinion does like, not Nathan's speak. Nathan's going to be like they, they score goals. They concede. <laughs> they concede goals. Um, yeah. And and look, they're fun to watch, but they don't win. But even if they did win, like because United are going to drop points, but so is everybody else. And that massive gap between. Uh, fifth place and sixth place is going to be too much for anybody to overcome. Polly, would you like to do your early predictions for our upcoming FA Cup match against Brighton, Hove, and Albion? Um, three, three <laughs> penalty shootout. <laughs> Casemiro's back for that, right? Oh yeah. Is Luke Shaw going to be back? So Casemiro's last suspended game is this weekend against Everton. Then we've got Sevilla first leg. Uh, at Nottingham Forest, Sevilla second leg, FA Cup semifinal. So yeah, he'll be back for that. It's so oh, geez, so tired at that point. Also, uh, a game that has not been rescheduled. Uh, we get to play Frank Lampard's Chelsea. Frank the Tank. Oh, baby. Yeah, no, I mean that's the thing. Today's been the day that keeps on giving. Not only did United win, but we're getting Super Frank back in our lives. Yeah, I mean, we can talk about this for a little bit because, you know, a year removed from panic over club future as well as future manager, uh, as well as extreme distaste for interim manager. Um, it, it just feels pretty good to see Chelsea have to go through this now. I just, like, I just... Don't, I, I understand how he does it. He has friends in high places. Uh, he's best friends with everybody in the media, so nobody ever says a bad word about him. But it's just amazing to watch Frank Lampard consistently fail upwards. Um, I do think he got the wrong end of the stick at Chelsea. Like My thing about him at Chelsea was everybody acted like, oh, Frank Lampard, he's great, and Chelsea had this transfer ban. And it's, well, you look at the transfer ban is really what helped him. Because you look at how Chelsea spend money, and it's what cost them his job a year later when they didn't have a transfer ban. They spent a ton of money on a bunch of players. Many of them stunk. And where are they now? Is they it, it, This is Chelsea's history. Is they spend a ton of money on so many players. Many of them stink. When they didn't have that transfer ban, when they had the transfer ban, they couldn't do that, and they were forced to, to use Tammy Abraham, who, by the way, was really good that year. He scored 15 goals and then got benched in like February and they've been missing a striker ever since. And he's been tearing it up in Syria. Ah, that is Syria. Ah, but like, yeah, give me the guy that scored 15 goals in the first two thirds of the season. Um, 
in his first Premier League season over the trot that they're that they're running out there constantly. Um, he he didn't do the worst job that year. Like he really got screwed over by Kepa uh, being absolutely historically bad. I can't like Kepa cost them so many points that year that like that Chelsea team was better than United who finished third. What, what bothered me the entire time is the media acting like Frank Lampard was this amazing God and or like how, like, you know, he's a serious manager versus Solskjaer is a joke. And it's like, no, Solskjaer is better and he's going to outlast him. And he did, but Frank Lampard did get like Kepa screwed him over, but, then he went to Everton where he immediately dragged them into a relegation fight so they could have a huge party when they didn't get relegated. And then they were terrible this year. And as soon as he left, they got better. And Chelsea are like, let's bring him back. As if like, I almost think it's an admission that they understand nobody's solving this. And they're basically like, you can't, you can't bring somebody in right now because then the clock, like you can't bring a Nagelsmann in right now because then the clock starts on him. And by the time next season starts, people are already going to be against him because they're going to be like, oh, he's been terrible. And you can't find a person to bring in because they're going to be like, that's just going to harm my reputation. So I guess that leaves you with Frank Lampard, the one guy that are like, well, your reputation's already crap. And we know that you'd be willing to come back to this club for anything. And you're willing to take the hit here to just we just need to see out the season and then you're yeah, going to be vibes. gone vibe, <laughs> I, I don't know if it's a vibe thing well I, it, let's also not forget when he was at Chelsea too everybody was going like feral because they were relatively successful and then also Stevie G was doing what he was doing um, at Rangers at that point and they were like when's he coming to the Premier League um and then meanwhile, you know, Solskjaer just kept rolling, but no reason. They to were relatively successful. They, they, I mean, Lampard season, other than Tuchel winning the Champions League, like Lampard season is literally up there with the best Chelsea seasons of the last six years. <laughs> so where's Stevie G going? That's the real question. He might go back. Uh, well, Rangers sacked Van Bronckhorst, and they I think they've been doing better since then. So I don't know if he goes back to Rangers, but um, go to Celtic. <laughs> well, they're doing great with uh, Ange Postacoglu, so that's probably not uh, well, what? on the cards either. Yeah, I'm that... sorry. I'm sorry. Please repeat. How much Scottish <laughs> Scottish football are you watching, Alan, that you just like pulled that, that out? <laughs> that too like if you're if you're putting on paramount plus go to the italian league. <laughs> i don't i don't watch a whole lot of scottish uh premier league i'll watch the old firm sometimes or if you know i want to watch a hibs game in the edinburgh derby or something um i just listen to the guardian football weekly and they talk about scottish football at the end of episodes um mm. anyway what was i going to say okay okay so like best case scenario here is like Lampard somehow bullshits his way to like the verge of the Champions League and they give him the job, right? I mean, yeah, the best case scenario for us is that Lampard sticks around. Like, like Frank Lampard's one of my favorite people around because he has the gift that keeps on giving because he's so paper. 
write any he's number so bad at this sign it mr bailey um, but like they're he's, he's they're so in bad this they're in that bracket side of the champions league where it's like all the favorites are there uh it's like they're playing real madrid and then man city is playing bayern munich so like if if they can somehow upset real madrid and then upset whatever the next team is and get to the final and then lose to you know either benfica or one of the italian teams in the final i think that would be my favorite outcome in this year's champions league yeah it's like it's like a final four where it's like a final four where you get an upset in the semifinal and it's incredible and then that team loses in the championship game because it's just like a bridge too far yeah i mean they're they are uh i'm trying to do quick math oh, here the, the women's final four this year colin they're seven points. They're seven points off of a Europa League place, and they've played two more games. So, like, kiss the Champions League by. Like, what is success? Is getting them close to the Europa League? Like, getting them into the Conference League? Yeah, sure. qualifying for Conference League. I think. Well, he'll qualify for Conference League by the skin of his teeth. They'll celebrate on the final day. They still have to pass like four teams to do that, and and that's not like I, no. like it's. Just, yeah, like the best case scenario is that Frank sticks around, but like that's just not going to happen. They're just not going to yeah. be good enough. The second best, the second best case scenario <laughs> is that we get is that we get Jose Mourinho the third, because you know, as long as you're nowhere near my team, Jose Mourinho is my favorite person <laughs> up there. Jose Mourinho and Frank Lampard are my favorite people to have in the Premier League. <laughs> Do we know what the Europa Conference League anthem sounds like? Does it have one? Uh, is it a banger? Uh, Nathan, you you look that up right now. Okay. And I'll think of wherever we need to take this podcast next. <laughs> All right. So I, I, I guess, uh, Polly, I'm going to pick your brain a little bit about this Newcastle game because, like we mentioned, Eric Tanag runs back the same midfield. Um, Scott McTominay not necessarily in the strictly number 10 role that he was against Newcastle, if if we can call it that. A little bit more helpful today. He disrupted play sometimes when United were defending. Otherwise, though, there's just zero presence in the middle of the park for this United team. Does this matter against Everton? That's, that's what I've been wondering. Um, because, yeah, they... I, I I think it's the same sort of thing as they're going to be very direct. And we saw it in the last 15 minutes of the game when all of a sudden Brentford went, hey, hey, if we score one goal, we can get a result here. And suddenly the ball was around United's box a lot more often. And, you know, Sean Dyche teams are pretty good at not just the defending part, but also scoring a goal every game or so getting the ball forward, getting those chances, being direct, that it it very well could cause issues for United. Um, like I said, like, Tenog did it just a little bit here in that he went from more of like that 4-1, 4-1, 4-3-3-ish thing to a much flatter 4-2-3-1. But we can't, yeah, it's hard to take anything away from that because Brentford just didn't try to do anything. Uh it, it does seem like playing at Old Trafford makes a huge difference, and I don't really understand why. Like, 
like Brentford just came in here and we're like, well, it's an away game. We shouldn't be like, we're not expected to do anything. So we won't. And I was like, like, this is a team that's here for the taking. Like this is, and this is my thing about like when we go to Anfield and we go, well, it's Anfield. So we have to like, and like we basically give them a goal by, by having that mentality. And, you know, we, we lost seven nil to Liverpool who have not won a single, who I don't think they've scored a goal since that game. It's like, how does this theater dreams, and, baby? <laughs> we're back like, you know we harp i harp on this all the time that game two years ago where we where we went and got a nil nil and we were like hey it's great we got a point in anfield and then they lost five in a row at home um it, it boggles my mind how like the old trafford thing is just that big that it feels like everton could be beaten before they get here but at the same time i feel like everton have won two in a row at old trafford they may they may not need to win this one let me see where they're at. Yeah, they're they um, have one two in a row. We we they got that last minute draw two years ago, um, and and they but they won. Uh, no, they drew last year when we conceded the goal from our own corner kick, which is what we tend to do all the time. Uh, but yeah, it, I, I would say after the Newcastle match, my biggest concern was at the beginning of the season. We remember Brighton and Newcastle and not Newcastle, Brighton, Brentford, and how it just wasn't working. And Ten Hag went, okay, this is bad. I better change things up. And he, you know, adapted. They dropped much deeper against Liverpool and he just sat, absorbed pressure, countered, and sort of did that for a while. And it was like, and now, and they've sort of been layer by layer. Uh, it's a soul short term, but Ten Hag has said slowly but surely or something like that. They've been adding more wrinkles to it. But right now, it's been bad. Like, they're so reliant recently on not just Casemiro, but on the individual performances of Lissandra Martinez and Rafael Varane. And Varane has not been great for the past month. That when things aren't going well, everything, you know, it becomes shambolic you have that newcastle game where it's, you're just looking like we could play for three hours for we play for three days we're not going to score a goal here and i'm just like well why hasn't he changed anything now it just seems like casemiro got suspended and he went all right i just have to find someone that can play in that deeper role where we sit behind the other two midfielders and it's like you don't have anybody that can do that why do you keep trying to make that happen? Why aren't you adapting to your to the team the way you did in the first half of the season? Um, and that's been my that was my big concern coming out of the Newcastle match. Yeah, I, I mean, I I know we excellent response. We've joked about it in uh, group chats. Luke Shaw in the middle, uh, off the table now. Um, it looks like he's got a hamstring injury. He had to come off after half an hour. Potentially another uh, costly um, absence thrown into the mix because he's been such a reliable source of ball progression down the left-hand side. He fits really well in that attack next to Marcus Rashford. Tyrell Molassi, though, um, you know, I, I thought he played okay today. He's just He doesn't offer that same sort of kind of overlapping direct creativity that Luke Shaw brings. Um, I'm just, I think I'm just thankful that Everton is our next opponent. Um, Nathan, I, I and know they're at home. 
Yeah. Nathan, I know that you're happy that, that we have a Saturday game, but uh, waking up at 7 a.m. for this one, are, are, are you looking forward to it? Uh, I will not be waking up at 7 a.m. for this game, to probably mm. be quite honest. We'll see. Mm. Uh, it might be a not set the alarm and see if I just wake up naturally, but you know how I feel about setting alarms for 7 a.m. games, especially yeah. ones against Sean Dyche. <laughs> Do you have a kicker's match day on Saturday? No, we uh, we actually have the weekend weekend off uh we're playing open cup tomorrow and then uh back next next saturday so as someone who uh was fortunate enough to not watch the newcastle loss um did you did you feel any i guess semblance of what the worries were watching the match today um i got the vibe based on the scoreline of course as you guys know i was busy eating what they call a redneck Benedict, which was biscuits with sausage gravy and poached eggs with uh, um, hash browns. Um, it was a wonderful brunch. Highly recommend it. Shout out to the Hill Cafe in Richmond, Virginia. Um, no free ads. But, um, you know, I was able to get back in time to probably watch the last 15 minutes. And that was when Newcastle was still up 1-0. And I was convinced that they were going to score again. I was not convinced that United was going to get anything out of that match so uh that felt bad and so i i was picking up what you guys were putting down in the group chat yeah uh i think the it it was kind of weird because once tenog made his like second round of subs it was very much like okay we're gonna throw everything forward kind of subs and then they never once had the ball across halfway line again for the last like well that was predictable because he brought like you know he rolled the dice but you look at the midfield and you're like, yeah, we're never going to get control of the ball here. So it's it's an odd one of, yeah. of like, I get what you're doing, but look at the people that you're putting out there. <laughs> uh, uh, like, it's not going to work. Uh, Those are not the guys that are going to control the ball and get it forward. This is and, not my beautiful and, house. And and it, it comes down to, and it comes, it, it, and you look at it and you go, okay, well, who else can you bring on? It's like, yeah, no, there's nobody. And injuries and, sus- and and suspension play a role in that. But that's just hard. It, it comes down to just horrible team building because for the a millionth year in a row, you're one midfielder away from one mid- the wrong midfielder gets hurt or suspended or is unavailable, and suddenly the entire team falls apart. And you have not addressed that at all and when you like if we go down a right winger if anthony gets hurt who can play there you've got if let's let's say everybody is fit who can play there you've got um you can move rashford there and play garnacho on the left wing you've got jaden sancho you've got Ilanga. you've got facundo palestri like that's a you've got four options right there there are two central midfield spots you have four players total for two spots and it goes back how many this is the team that they signed a midfielder in 2012 with Nick Powell they signed one two years later with Fellaini and under and the next year they signed under Herrera and Daly Blind the next year they signed Schneiderwin and um Schweinsteiger the next year they signed Pogba the next year they signed Matic the next year they signed Fred and after that they have signed nothing while letting 
players leave. Over time, most of those players left. And then Solskjaer came in, Fellaini left, Ander Herrera left, no replacement. And every year it was, we'll sign a new, we'll sign a midfielder if Pogba leaves. And it's like, okay, well, you sign another center back, we already have five of those. You sign another right left winger, we already have five of those. And they every year they just kept signing players in the same position. But midfielder was, if Pogba leaves, we'll sign one. And then Pogba and Nemanja Matic left. So all they did was replace them. They still haven't actually signed anybody to like round out the team and provide some depth. And this is what happens is when you have an injury to the wrong one. In this case, uh, your only midfielder with any modicum of control, who's not even a midfielder, is an attacking midfielder who is doing an admirable but not really great job playing deeper and your defensive midfielder. And when they're not available, oh yeah. Yeah, I, 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 I as uh, Derek Ray would say, on call for a German football game. Yeah, I've been watching Bundesliga this season too. See, uh, I thought you were watching Power Rangers, but um, <laughs> what do you that's exactly what I was going to say. I was like, Colin just made a Power Rangers reference, but she's probably too young to know that he did that. Yeah, yeah. are you, are you going to watch the uh, the special on Netflix when that when that comes out, the 30th anniversary? Well, this is the first time um, hearing about it, so. <laughs> Oi, dude, I when when I first heard about it, I like clicked on the article and like clicked to like is, watch the trailer. Is Amy Jo Johnson in it? No, she's not. No, she passed. That's a whole thing. She, she, oh my god, she skipped out. Um, I I almost want to boycott it. Yeah, um, but I clicked on that trailer to watch it, and ever since then, my social media feed every day is just Power Ranger stuff, and I'm like, I just Thank keep clicking are. the X, being like, I'm not interested. <laughs> like, why is there so much? Yeah, let me get back in. That uh, that happened to me with uh, both TikTok and Reels where uh I've, I've consumed so much boy genius content over the last like week that and now it's like every other thing i scroll past is a boy genius meme or tiktok which isn't bad you know it's a great album everyone go listen to the record um no free ads Just, uh, richmond's own lucy dacus yeah there we go um i think that's all i got for today um I mean, we're talking about music of power rangers at this point so yeah well, look, we're and Polly actually had something important tonight. <laughs> so the uh, the the SB Nation Stooges are not going to get on us for getting off topic at the end of podcast I mean, episodes. I'll be honest, I I I have lots to say on Monday. I can't. I'm so tired right now. I cannot remember <laughs> any of it. Yeah, if we had recorded on Monday, it would have been a bad vibes episode. Just like unpacking a really miserable game that may, you know, ultimately still not mean that much by the end of the season. And uh, if I had, crossed. if I did remember it, like this match that we just watched put me to sleep enough that I, it was going to be erased from my brain. Yeah, <laughs> you guys want to wake up? Just go see John Wick Four. I still Master. need to see that. Um, we'll I would be back. still need to see John Wick and John Wick 2 and John Wick 3. You haven't seen any of the John Wicks, Polly? I have, I have not seen any of the John Wicks, but, you know, Colin's only seen like four of the Fast and the Furious. So. I was about to make that joke. I was like, take a break from, from the uh, nine Fast and the Furious. I've seen then. three of the first five. I skipped Tokyo Drift and the other oh, one. Oh, so you haven't even seen, you haven't even seen four. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Yeah, Colin's watching them in sequential order, chronological order. 
Right, but he's not actually watching the fifth one. He's never going to get around to it. I watched I watched the fifth one. That's the one where they're in Brazil, right? Yeah. This is Brazil. Yeah. And they, well, they that's good. So that. now, you have, now you have some sort of a baseline for number 10. Yeah, Jason. Momoa, we're we're revisiting. I actually like if you watch the trailer, it's like noted they're Brazilian every, Jason Momoa. They're they're revisiting like every single Fast and Furious they've they've ever done in that trailer. I'm like, wait, isn't that the road that we used in 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 the sixth one at one point? Isn't Jason Statham a bad guy and then a good guy at some point? That's everybody. Everyone okay. in the Fast and Furious, every, like every, Dominic Toretto, yeah. the original bad guy. Because yeah, The Rock is, is like the the feds in the fifth one and then he like joins the crew later. right he's a, he's a cop and then he becomes you know a criminal except the criminals are actually working yeah. for not the feds but like uh a government Different contracted kind of agency oh yeah. and by the way brie larson is now playing the daughter of the head of that secret uh agency kurt I russell kurt like, russell's daughter yeah kurt russell's kurt like russell only yeah. signed a three movie deal so seven eight yeah he only he came in in seven but he had only signed a three movie one Yep. So now we got Captain wow. Marvel. It, Colin, you got to catch up, man. The movie catch up yep. next month. Um. Wow. And you know, I mean, I'm just packed up now. I got to see Super Mario Brothers. I still got to see the Dungeons and Dragons movie. I got uh, to see John Wick movie. Four. I've heard really good things, which I was surprised by because making a movie out of Dungeons and Dragons seemed like a a far a bit like a bit of a stretch. I mean, it does look wildly fun to watch. I mean, yeah. I feel like Chris Pine is a plus two on your movies nowadays. Like he's got that, he's got that energy where if he's in your movie, like it's plus two better than it would have been if he wasn't. I bet he had so much fun doing this after Don't Worry, Darling. He was just yeah. so ready to have fun on a movie set. Also, you know who's in the Dungeons and Dragons movie? Michelle Rodriguez of Fast and Furious Man. The dead, not dead. See, Colin doesn't Rodriguez. know because he's only watched he's only watched three of the first five, and she doesn't he come probably, back until number six. He probably thinks she's still dead. Oh wait, yeah. I did, I did, I did see the one where she comes back. Oh, so maybe I have seen four. <laughs> no, she dies in number four. She dies in number four. Except, except, no, just she, like except yeah, the she dies. Period, but nobody's ever dead. She comes no one's back actually to life. dead in the fast period. Yeah, and she well, has to the, like the, they have to like remind her that she like was part of the crew. What's funny right. is oh, that's, Colin that's doesn't even six. know Colin doesn't even know that Han has died and then come back to life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, forgive me for being terrible. Well, actually, no, but Paul Walker hasn't even died in the Fast and Furious universe. <laughs> yeah. That one is has been weird because um yeah, it, it they just like have like end of end of the movie scenes where he's like, oh, we're having a family dinner. And you just see, right? Like I named my kid. I named my kid Brian after, after uh, the the uh, after the role of the, of the actor who died. Except in this world, that person is still alive, and he's living on a beach, and I'm just not seeing him. And <laughs> and because of that, um, I don't talk to my sister. Except then, the next movie, my sister comes back. But yeah, also, ever, the best bit in the ninth yeah. movie was Roman just constantly being like. Yo, none of this makes sense anymore. <laughs> I, I guess my main gripe with the ninth movie, besides the fact that John Cena looks nothing like Vin Diesel and they are not believable brothers, is uh they didn't go far enough into space. You know, they only just like 
It just barely touched space, but they did not go to outer space. They go into space. Oh yeah, I couldn't have a gripe with the the last movie because of the fact that they made it so clear over and over and over again that they do not take any that they take none of this seriously. They were just like, look, we're gonna do ridiculous things and we're gonna make fun of the fact that like like Roman being like, how did we just get out of a gunfight and none of us are even got grazed by a bullet? Like it's like if we're gonna do that, it's like yeah. Oh, you know who's dead? The guy in the fifth movie uh, from Dom's original crew. Doesn't that the one who the one who was like in the first movie who never trusted Brian because he said he was a oh, cop? Yeah, um, yeah. Oh, so he's he the was only right. one that stayed dead. <laughs> he was Nobody right. Nobody likes and then the he tuna here, bro. Movie, <laughs> comes back in the fifth movie and uh, gets shot and dies, and he's the only one that stayed dead. Yeah, the guy who refers to Riff. Paul Walker is the Buster. Yeah, the Buster is the only thing that keep that kept me out of prison. All right, I think we've gone off the rails enough. Yeah, do we have to talk about. Do we have to talk about the Chelsea not hiring Greg Berhalter to cover our U.S. our U.S. quota? Oh man, that would have been fun. Can uh, we talk about how it would be really nice if we got Tyler Adams in our midfield? Let's not go there. Let's not go there. I mean, it would be better than Weston McKinney, but let's not go there. Let's get like, real midfielders. Anyone we midfield. anyone oh, we have to sign from Leeds is going to come at a premium of like one a Premier, Premier League, League premium. Anyone and that then, we have to sign from the Premier League because no team needs to sell anybody. But Leeds also comes with on. a fuck you premium, which we really don't need to deal with. I mean, if no, we've gotten some signings from Wade's before and uh you ever heard of Rio Ferdinand um, yeah the you know, 30, 30 million pounds pundit, center back a really good before hey. he was an annoying ass pundit he was a really good center back and, and we did, uh, we did sign we did sign striker Alan Smith and try to make him a defensive midfielder <laughs> and after we bought Daniel James out from Leeds we still sold him back to him so mm. I think we got goodwill with them right now well, we're certainly not goodwill hunting. Uh, 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 there it is. Yeah. All right. Now we're going to end the podcast. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll be back next week. Um, one thing, we, we're going to have another episode of, uh, of the regular Fergie Fledglings podcast. And we're also going to have uh, a sort of potentially new spinoff podcast uh, on the Maine United women's team. I'm going to be speaking with Marty Hill uh on monday to discuss the man united women's team season and kind of going into the final stretch of their title charge uh slash top three charge uh it's crowded up there so who really knows at this point but uh united women top of the table um and it's exciting so uh looking forward to that and what's, uh what's the potential name of the spinoff you know i have no idea we'll have to workshop that yeah, we'll have to work on something. I may have to go back into my free Adobe design as well. But uh, yeah, thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.